Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we gather from so many different places, not just geographically, but emotionally and spiritually. For some of us, we see an ordination and installation of elders and deacons, and it all makes great sense, of course. For others, what are they doing? For some, we stand and recite the Apostles' Creed and the words flow freely. We've said them so many times. For others, kind of mumble our way through it, not sure exactly what we're saying. All of us are here now from the different places we come. So would you meet us in the place that we are and move us to the place that you need us to be for our own sakes, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I had the really wonderful joy uh, this week to serve as a chaplain at Camp Geneva. Camp Geneva, that 70-year-old camp tucked into the forest of Holland on the north side along Lake Michigan. There were like 200 or so fourth, fifth, and sixth grade campers and dozens of college-aged counselors, and I got to be the chaplain. Uh, one of the lessons on one of the days was on gratitude, and one of the counselors reported one of the campers saying, upon hearing that the lesson was on gratitude, "Ah oh, man, I hate science. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> it has nothing to do with his sermon, but it's just so funny. Uh, this has something to do with the sermon, though. Uh, this is the last sermon that I will preach at Pillar Church in this sanctuary as it is now. I'll be preaching in other places the next two weeks, and by the time I get back, we'll be down the road at Dimnit Chapel. Isn't that wild? It's just wild to me. So this building project, uh, intending to make this building accessible to anyone with a physically limiting condition, children's spaces for a flourishing children's ministry, a gathering space to meet a new friend and serve the city, all while preserving this historic, iconic building uh, where people have been gathering for 162 years. In our neck of the woods, that's a long time. 162 years of gathering to pray, to sing, to sit quietly, to extend a hand in hospitality. Uh, it's become a thin space, you know what I mean? Where, where the sacred and the ordinary show up at the same time. Uh, you know, when you see it that way, Transition like this is kind of a, there's a little bit of a loss to it. Um, you won't get to sit in the pew that you've sat in for however long you've sat there. Uh, the nine o'clockers have to become 10.30ers, which isn't a big deal to you. <laughs> The, the intimacy of this sanctuary 
will give way to the high ceilings and the long aisles of Dimnit Chapel. The, 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 the sunlight shining through the clear glass will be distorted by colorful stained glass windows. Uh, and the air-conditioned air <laughs> that I, for one, am really grateful for uh, does not exist over there. Uh, Eugene Peterson, a friend and mentor of mine, uh, reflecting on the value of space, uh, speaking of his own space, but I think it belongs to us too, this place is holy ground. My Midian burning bush, my Horeb cave, my Patmos island that has kept me grounded and to which I have repeatedly returned. This is holy ground. It's kept us grounded. It's the place to which we repeatedly return. So there's a sense in which, at least for some, there's a loss in the transition. And it's probably good to name it and be aware of it. Uh, it's also good to acknowledge the opportunity. Uh, Dimnit is way bigger than Pillar. Think about how many people you can invite to church. <laughs> uh, and we'll worship in one service, the whole Pillar community together all at once. What a gift. And can you imagine Christmas Eve at Dimnit. The, the disruption that may occur, and it will be disruptive, is actually stretching us out of the predictability of routine and opening us to the new surprises God may have in store for us. God is a disruptive God. God is not actually interested in you remaining very, very comfortable, but wants to stretch you into sanctification and holiness and mission, and maybe, just maybe, moving a half a block over will be the catalyst <laughs> for that sort of new thing God wants to do among us. So keep your eyes open. Keep your heart ready. What's the new thing God wants to do? What's the new way God wants you to serve? Who's the new person God wants you to invite? What's the new learning God wants to offer? And all of it starts on July 22 at 10.30 a.m. I'll see you there. Uh, for now, I want you to listen with me to the story of a disrupted life. Maybe gain our bearings amidst any disruption we experience. Person cruising along, doing just great, really. And then the extraordinary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. He came and said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was perplexed by the words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He'll rule over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. 
Mary said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. Even now, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is now the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Here am I, servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, if you wanted to find it in a Bible near you. A little Christmas in July. Talk about disruption. You thought moving a half a block over was a big deal. How about conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin? When we stand up on Sunday mornings to recite the Apostles' Creed, we dare to say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Do you realize how outlandish that is? Do you realize what you're saying and how utterly disruptive it is for your life? In a minute, we're going to gather around the table, and on our way, I want to spend a little time with that creedal statement. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And, and think about just how disruptive it is. So something theologically necessary, something pastorally significant, and then something utterly disruptive. Here's what I find theologically necessary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And then the history of the church, to make it more concise, says he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. What a wild thing to say. We're saying at one and the same time, Jesus Christ is both God and human. He is the commingling of the sacred and the ordinary. He, he, he holds the temporal and the eternal. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, we live, you don't have to buy this, this is my assessment of things. Uh, we live in a messed up world. <laughs> we live in a crazy world where the sin thing in us gets projected out from us, operationalized and systematized in systems of oppression and inequity and abuse, and it happens all over the globe. I mean, hundreds of thousands gathered across our country yesterday to decry the sadness of families being separated at the border while five, at least five families in Maryland grieve the death of ones they love because of another shooting, 
while hundreds and hundreds of Christians in Nigeria gather in places like this this morning in fear because of threats of attack that are planned today. A hundred bodies were pulled out of the water off the coast of Libya, people, refugees running for their lives. We live in a broken world, a mixed up world, a sad world. And God is not willing to leave it this way. God intends to make it right. That's been his mission from the beginning. The sun had not even set on the first act of disobedience. And God's already asking, where are you? And the garden question becomes the promise to Abram. I'll bless you and through you I'll bless all the families of the earth. And that becomes Moses and the burning bush and the exodus, which becomes Esther for such a time as this, which becomes Ruth and a home made for her, which becomes the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul and the apostle John. But in the fullness of time... It was Jesus Christ whom God sent into the world, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, to make things right, to make things well, to make things new. Uh, Have you heard of the Heidelberg Catechism? It's a teaching tool of the Reformed tradition. Who is this mediator? true God and at the same time a true and righteous human, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was given to us to completely deliver us and make us right with God. To completely deliver us and make us right with God. When we say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, we're declaring he he intends to completely deliver us and make us right with God. Anybody need deliverance? Anybody need to be made right? So on Wednesday night at Camp Geneva, uh, the night set aside for consecration. Uh, That's the night you like present the gospel as clearly and concisely as you possibly can. So all of the campers, the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, they sort of move a single file into the chapel where the counselors are dressed up, not in costumes, but in like dress-up clothes. And they, as soon as the first camper enters the, the chapel, the counselors start singing, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. And the campers are going, what is going on? And they all sit in their little rows in chairs this time, not on the floor like normal. Something is different. And one of the counselors stands up and says, things are different tonight, aren't they? And then we sing and we pray, and I was asked to preach. I was asked to preach the gospel. So I did. I didn't have a camp conversion experience myself, so I was a little in over my head, but I I just did it. I did it. I did the best I could. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And these fourth, fifth, and sixth graders were like, whoa. I said, anyone, anyone, which means every one of you who is in Christ, if you, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you're in Christ. And you can become new. All of the old things are gone. The things, they don't disappear, but they don't have the same power over you anymore. You're new, brand new. And then they all toddled off. Maybe they don't toddle at 4th, 5th, and 6th grade, but they all went off. 
to their one-on-ones with camp counselors, and I didn't hear if there were any conversions. I didn't find out if there were any recommitments, and as far as I know, there were no baptisms at Camp Geneva this week. And I'm only telling you this now uh, because I want to offer to you what I was trying to offer to them. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. See, everything's become new. He was conceived by the Spirit and born of the Virgin to deliver us and make us right with God. Anybody need to be delivered from an addiction that hounds and a temptation that haunts and an anxiety that overwhelms? Anybody need to be made right with God out of the dysfunction of the family and the confusion of a complicated world? When you come to the table today, come to say, he completely delivers me and makes me right with God. Do you realize what you're saying when you say he was conceived by the Spirit and born of the Virgin? That's theologically necessary. Now, pastorally significant, I think. Did you notice the promise? I've repeated it over and over in my life. It's verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. Who hasn't repeated that at least once or twice? Nothing will be impossible with God. We we don't mean it just the virgin will conceive. We mean it for like me now. That's what we say when we sit with the one who's been recently diagnosed, nothing will be impossible with God. That's what we say when we walk with the married couple whose marriage is crumbling. Nothing will be impossible with God. That's what we say when any manner of sadness breaks into our lives and our days. Nothing will be impossible with God. Maybe... Maybe we don't borrow that exact verse. Maybe we say things like, all things work together for good. Or I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or do not worry about anything because nothing will be impossible with God. So then what do you do when the disease isn't cured? And the marriage breaks up anyway. And the sadness breaks in. What do you do with nothing will be impossible with God? A couple of things I think are pastorally significant. We tend to take the promises of Scripture, not just this one, but all of them, and personalize them, which is the right thing to do, but then privatize them. We take them out of their grand scope and make them just for me. So nothing will be impossible with God becomes God's requirement to make everything work out for me. The promises of Scripture are always personal but never private. The promise nothing will be impossible with God was given to Mary not just so that she could be a mom, but so that salvation would break into the world. And when Jesus turned water into wine, it wasn't just so that they didn't have to deal with the shame of running out of wine, or you don't have to worry about running out of wine at your wedding, but to point to Christ, who is Lord. And when Jesus took the two loaves and the five fish and fed the 5,000, it wasn't just so they could eat in an afternoon, but declare the Messiah is on the move. 
The promises of Scripture are always personal but never private. They're meant for the good of the whole world. They're, they're meant to, the, to point to the one who redeems all things, which I think is pastorally significant when you claim the promise. If the purpose of the promise is the redemption of all things, we reorient our way of appropriating them into our lives. You know what I'm saying? And so everything going well for me is not the indicator the promise is true or not. This is why the Apostle Paul says things like, I've learned to be content in any and all circumstances. This is why he says, if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. They're personal, not private. And then, this is also pastorally significant, I think. Did you notice how Mary responds? How can this be? Like, no, actually, that's not possible. How can this be? I'm a virgin. When the odds stack up against us higher than our capacity to accomplish, we say with Mary, how can this be? Which I think is important to acknowledge. The Christian faith has plenty of room for question. It's not some sort of steely-eyed, defiant faith, but rather a curious, vulnerable Interested faith. How can this be? So when, when you're going to claim the promise, but it seems grander than anything you could imagine, how can this be? We wonder. And then the angel responds. I think this is pastorally significant. The angel responds by pointing to Elizabeth. Even now, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son, and she is in her sixth month who was said to be barren. The angel points to Elizabeth. The angel points to evidence. The angel says, here's the deal, Mary. I understand your concern. God's acted. Elizabeth, God's acted in the past. God's acted elsewhere. So you can trust God will act still. God will act now. Our, pro our promise claiming is not a blind faith. All things will work together for good. There's actually evidence God has been on the move in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is not mere optimism. Or do not worry about anything is not just wishful thinking. When you claim the promises, you point to other evidences. God has acted and will act still. I think it's important to acknowledge. Now something utterly disruptive it's the way Mary responds. She says, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Just a word to the wise. Don't say that. <laughs> don't say it if you don't mean it. Don't say it if you're not willing. Here am I. Send me where you want me to go. Here am I. Do with me whatever you will. Here am I. Ask of me what you want. Here am I. I'm just telling you, don't say it. If you don't mean it. And if you're not willing. Here am I. I remember in the garden, and by the way, if you think I quote Genesis 1 through 11 too much, just deal with it. <laughs> Genesis 1 through 11 is the prologue, in my mind, to the entire Bible. 
If you know Genesis 1 through 11, you know way more than you think you know. And in Genesis 3, in the garden, God asks, where are you? And the man responds, I hid myself. And we've been hiding for a really long time. We hide behind introversion. We hide behind extroversion. We hide behind loud. We self-medicate. We just hide. We're really good at it. And God keeps asking, where are you? Which kind of reframes Mary's response, doesn't it? Here I am. That's, that's the orientation of the Christian believer in life and faith. Here I am. Uh, I've not been many places in life. I've just been a few places, and I've been here for a while. And it seems to me we put an inordinate amount of pressure on ourselves to achieve. I'm an Enneagram number three. You know what this is? That's the achiever, which is probably why I think we put an inordinate amount of pressure on ourselves to achieve. It's not you, it's just me, I guess. Uh, we, 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 we are not satisfied with good enough. We will stretch ourselves to get every ounce we possibly can. We have snow-melted sidewalks. <laughs> and there's something really beautiful about it. There's something really good about it. We're not, we're not going to just rest on our laurels, but there's something also really dangerous about it. It's not long after our capacity to achieve becomes our value and worth. And so what I did and how much I made and who noticed defines me. And it's another way of hiding. And Mary says, here, here, here am I. That's the orientation of the Christian in life and in faith. Here am I. Send me where you want me to go. Do with me what you will. Ask of me what you want. Here am I. Don't say it if you don't mean it. And if you're not willing. So, this is the last sermon that I'm going to preach in this church as it is right now. Feeling kind of good about myself right here, right now. I think I might just stall this thing out for a while. <laughs> Ironically and providentially, uh, this is also the sixth anniversary to the day uh, that Kristen and I and Lydia and Tabitha and Mariah showed up to Pillar for the first time as pastor. Isn't that wild? To the day. This is our anniversary. This is all sorts of exciting. So on that day, on that day, July 1, 2012, Jim Hookstra, the president of the council, uh, called us forward in worship, uh, gave us a gift bag with uh, Captain Sunday uh, gift certificates and aquatic center passes, and the girls were like, we love this church. <laughs> I think there was maybe 80 people that day. Uh, we worshiped at 9.30. Uh, Drew was the child in the nursery. Uh, the Larmans were the kids in Sunday school. The Verhags were the kids in middle to high school youth group. Uh, our, so our kids doubled the children's ministry. Uh, when the church invited us into conversation about joining the team, they described themselves as a dying church. A, a stunningly strategic marketing strategy. We're dying. 
Join us. <laughs> okay. It was actually beautiful. They were willing to say, here am I. And our, our, our success or failure really isn't the point. The church thrives. The kingdom is at hand. So, so we're dying on the corner of 9th and College across the street from a college campus with big visions and grand dreams. Here am I. That was six years ago, today. And there's evidence God has been on the move at Pillar, that there's not 80 people <laughs> anymore. And there's more than one kid in the nursery and more than three kids in Sunday school and more than three kids in middle and high school youth group combined. <laughs> Any metric you choose, there's evidence God has been on the move. And so Sunday morning, July 22 at 10.30, we'll gather in Dimnit. And then like a year later, I don't know, sometime later, we'll gather back in this space. And it's going to be different. It's not going to be blue carpet. Please let it not be blue carpet. <laughs> the sanctuary is going to look more like it did in 1880 than 1950. Uh, there's going to be an elevator that works. And bathrooms you can find and a gathering space to greet one another and serve the city in all kinds of children's spaces. It's going to be great. It's going to be beautiful. But whatever it is, don't change the orientation from six years ago. Here I am. But don't say it if you don't mean it. Don't say it if you're not willing. Here I am. Send me where you want me to go. Here I am. Do with me what you want to do. Here I am. Ask of me whatever you want. Here I am. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.